You're listening to Megiddo Radio. Megiddo Radio is a radio ministry of Megiddo Media. For more, visit our website at megiddoradio.com. That's megiddoradio.com. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. This is Paul Flynn with Megiddo Radio for the 15th of June, 2021. Thank you all for tuning in on, on tonight's program. I don't know if everything's working tonight. Um, there's been a few issues. Um, I've, also, I've also pointed out, if anybody's watching Megiddo TV, I'm going to have to pop over there and turn this on in the corner. But uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, on tonight's program, we're going to be doing a program on a few different things. Um bit of crackling here and my monitor for some reason I think this is a bit louder than I would like um, hopefully YouTube is going well uh, problem I had was there was uh, an issue with I don't know if anybody's got a VPN and as I'm discovering VPNs make your connection a little bit slower it's brilliant most of the time but this is one of those times where it just doesn't work. Um, whenever you're doing streaming, it was flashy up red, and I'm like, what's the point? What's the problem with that? And, oh, my VPN's on, and that's the difference. Um, it's a good VPN, and it seems to take a lot of the boxes in that sense, but um, I don't think I'll be able to use it for streaming, so DV, I will not be doing that in future. <laughs> We're learning as we go along. So greetings, everyone. Um, if you're hopefully there's hopefully you'll be able to get up up to speed. This is a a new YouTube link um, for this program. I had to change it because the first one wasn't working. But or anybody who's listening via sermon audio, hopefully hopefully the sounds okay and stuff like that. Um, but let's, let's get into it. Uh, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to read through as we do. We've been doing it for quite a while now. We're going to be reading through one of the Psalms and we're also going to play one of, we're going to play the Psalm, a singing of the Psalm. Uh, it's actually a recording that was done by, uh, Connor Quigley, who runs a SoundCloud channel. And I think he does a YouTube cha channel or not a YouTube channel. He might do that as well. But um, he, I think he runs a website. I'm trying to remember the website again, if I could. I think it's like either the Psalms song or something like that. Um, but he does a very good page on, yeah, the thepsalmsongs.org. I think it's him who runs that that website. And uh, it's a lot of recordings from different people singing the Psalms, which is wonderful because a lot of people, I didn't grow up in a Psalm singing background, what is it like to sing the Psalms? So a lot of people have never done that before. So um, what we're going to do first is we're going to read through Psalm 36. So if you turn in your Bibles there to Psalm 36. Hopefully there'll be no other problems with any other things uh worst case scenario um 
it'll probably just work <laughs> through the podcast as usual. Um, Psalm 36, uh, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes. When he finds out his iniquity and when he hates, the word of his mouths are wickedness and deceit. He has ceased to be wise and do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not abhor evil. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your right your judgments are a great deep, O Lord. You preserve man and beast. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. O continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the workers of iniquity have fallen. They have been cast down. They are not able to rise. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. And we're going to, the little bit that I'm going to play here, just a few minutes, is... Um, this is from, um, it's the Northern Presbytery Choir of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of Ireland who are going to be singing this, and this is a recording that was originally done by them, but it's up and you can find it, Connor Quigley Psalms on soundcloud.com, and there's loads of other things and tunes and everything else, and probably the easiest psalter to get is this one. Um, from the Trinitarian Bible Society, I just mentioned this particular psalm, Psalter, because it is, it's like pretty much the authorized version of Psalters from the Reformation. It's, it's an excellent translation. It goes back to that era. It goes back to 1650. It's known as the 1615 metrical Scottish Psalter. There are other ones around. Um, but if you're just getting into it, this tends to be the easiest one to sing because they're usually common meter. And, um, I think nearly all of them are common meter if I'm not, not mistaken. Um, and for somebody like myself who only got into Psalm singing about um, six, seven years ago, whenever it was that when you're starting off, you know, to try and make it easier on yourself and, um, this metrical psalter certainly does that. So we're gonna I'm just gonna play it. Um hopefully it'll be a blessing to your soul as we play this. This is Psalm 36, the tune, and it's gonna be from verses five to ten from the metrical psalter. You need a metrical psalter because otherwise you wouldn't be able to sing it. You won't be able to sing the prose version from your Bibles, whatever translation you have in front of you. It has to be put in a certain meter, otherwise you're not gonna be able to sing it. Thank you. 
So there, that is it. Hopefully it's a wonderful blessing. Maybe you've never heard somebody sing the Psalms before. I remember years ago, the only thing I would come across with regards to psalm singing would be in various places. Sometimes people might take a, a verse from the Psalms or another part of Scripture or something like that and turn it into a song or anything like that. Um, but a lot of people forget that the Psalter, the whole point of it was, it was the hymnal, you could say. Uh, these are your psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs of not only the Jewish church, but also of the the church, pretty much, uh, sometimes when you see psalm singing, people might think that it's string in terms of church history, that today psalm singers are kind of in the minority and may seem like the strange ones. In regards to psalm singing, and I'm not making an argument purely based on church history. That's not the reason my my opinion changed it. But if you look across church history, early church, um, Reformation church, okay, there was exceptions like the Lutheran church and the Church of England and things like that. But by and large, right across the board, most sung the Psalms a cappella. Um, and there was, right up until the late, 19th century. Now, that view is seen as extreme whenever people do write about it in blogs and things like that, but I would urge you, brethren, rather than just saying it's extreme or whatever, to examine the scriptures. The most important thing is, what is the scriptures? And for those who would hold to an exclusive psalmist position in, in regards to worship, it is this, that whatever God has not commanded in worship is forbidden. And that goes back to principles found in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 3, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, that and also the second and third commandment and fourth commandment as well just how we approach god how we understand of our own sinful nature that nothing should come from our own imagination nothing should come from our wants or anything like that it should all be based upon the revealed will of almighty god so by god's grace and and here's the thing right right you're at the point you're not completely convinced you will be blessed just to get a psalter. I have lots of friends. I have friends I know of, people I, people I email back and forth, things like that, that they're not completely convinced of the psalmist's position, but they are blessed and they acknowledge so. They're blessed when they, re, when they sing through the psalms. At the very, very least, do that for the state of your own soul and to help you to grow in in godliness and uh, to, to be built up in the truth. Okay, so speaking of being built up in the truth, we're going to tonight, um, we were doing this before, before um, Megiddo Radio went on hiatus. Uh, we're going through the Westminster Larger Catechism. Uh, this is a regular thing I want to do uh, because with, I'm going to keep doing the critiques but I, I kind of, I guess in future, I want to be more and more picky about the critiques because there's stuff I could have covered today. There is, um, that would have been much more juicy, much more exciting, um, no doubt. But the church doesn't need more juicy controversies and stuff like that. I refer to, you know, the whole thing, Stephen Furtick, apparently he said, well, I know he said something pretty horrendous again 
Um, but I've already done a video with that pretty much that same error um, of him claiming that he is God. It's pretty shocking. It's pretty horrible. Um, but we ourselves, and hopefully anybody coming out of those movements and those teachers and all that, need to be grounded in the truth. And people will email me and um, so what did you read in terms of Reformed theology and stuff like that? And I, uh, I'll be honest, over the years, I probably haven't had the greatest answers to give. Whereas the answer I give now is get the the shorter and larger catechisms. I'm reading through Al Martin's uh, Pastoral Theology at the moment, volume one. It's the second time I've read through it, actually. And he says this as well. You know, med almost memorize the shorter and larger catechisms, Westminster. No, it's, it's, it's interesting that, that, um, Al Martin himself, he's not someone who held to the Westminster standards as a subordinate standard, as a subordinate standard under the word of God. The word of God is our, is our authority. Um, but he still urged people to, to, to get, dig deep into the theology of the catechisms, the shorter and the larger catechisms, and what we're going to be doing, um, not every single week, it just depends on what's happening and things like that, what, what seems wise, um, probably every second or third week or something, I'll be doing a program like this on the catechisms, and we're the where we left off, and this was a couple of programs ago now, I doubt anybody remembers, because this is about a year ago, it's question 18 of the larger catechism, and in question 18 of the larger catechism, and I'm hoping to get down to this, the end of these few questions on the providence of God, because that's what I want to talk about today, the providence of God, and especially with which with a lot of our missteps, shall we say, and our fear um, of what may come in the future. We, we, for the last couple of decades, relatively speaking in the West, we've been living pretty comfortably. We've been living in a, in a way that um, we haven't generally been too troubled. Now, there are obviously exceptions. There are obviously people who go through hardships and trials and financial difficulties. And it's horrible when it happens. This homelessness happens even today um, in other situations. But at the same time, relative to the rest of human history, not much. And, you know, relative to human history, if somebody, basically you're talking about people starving to death in human history. So um, we haven't really faced to the same extent that middle age, the uh, medieval church, groups like the Waldensians, th that kind of horrendous persecution that they faced. Now, there's, there's our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world that do face that in countries like, probably places like India, places like um, Pakistan and Iran and China and so on and so forth. And we don't even know the full details of all that goes on because the full details can't even come out because the governments of those countries would try and squash the gospel going forth. But we need to be well aware of the providence of God. So not even... Not even just so that when difficult times come, we praise him and we trust in him. But even more than that, that we 
We praise him right now. We give thanks for the, all the good things we have right now. You know, we're comfortable in the West and we, we have so much access to books and materials. I mean, the materials you can get with regards to the Greek and the Hebrew, we're spoiled for what we have. So from, from the, the Lord's providence providing for us, it's incredible. And we need to remind ourselves of all that God does and be thankful for him. Question 18 of the Larger Catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism states this, what are God's works of providence? The answer states this, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures, ordering them and all their actions to his own glory. So let's go through each part one by one. God's works of providence are his most holy. So his works, they're holy. They're righteous by virtue of the fact that he does it. He is holy. He is all, well, it goes on to this, wise. So anything that God does in regards to his providence are most holy. You know, anything God does is the best it is the most holy, most wise, and powerful. There's nothing more powerful than God. That there's nothing that restrains God in any way, shape, or form. Um, being distracted here in the corner by my uh, <laughs> YouTube telling me one minute no data and the next minute it seems to be fine hopefully it's okay hopefully it's okay um i have a yellow warning on one screen from one streaming website and i get a random warning yeah it's uh i don't know i think the internet might not be good here t this evening i'm not sure uh, I'm I'm not sure. Hopefully this turns out okay and if anybody is in the chat on YouTube if you could let me know if if the audio is going well, and that would be wonderful. Okay, so, so his works of providence are holy, they're wise, they're powerful, preserving. The reason why anything we do has any lasting ability for however long it lasts is because of God. Not because of us. If it, if, it, if it ultimately depended on us, nothing would last. Nothing would last. Governing. Governing all his creatures. And whether you bow to him or not, whether you acknowledge him or not, he still preserves and governs you. All of his creation. Nothing can continue to flourish or anything else or grow or prosper without him. Not possible. Not possible in any way, shape, or form. Thank you so much for in the chat for letting me know about that. Yeah, <laughs> it's good to know that 
uh, some audio is going through. Somebody in the chat, let me know. Thank you for, so much for that. Really, really appreciate that. Um, now, so all of his creatures, they're governed in this most holy, wise, and powerful way. And ordering them and their actions to his own glory. Ordering them, his creatures, and all their actions to his own glory. So God's act of providence, because they're wise, they're holy, they are the right thing to do. Therefore, all these things will be done for his own glory, because that is the most important thing. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God. So, question 19. We barely touched about this on this the last time we, we did a program on this, but let's go through it again briefly. What is God's providence towards the angels? Question 19. God, by his providence, permitted some of the angels willfully and irrevocably uh, irrecoverably to fall into sin and damnation, limiting and ordering that all their sins to his own glory and establish the rest in holiness and happiness, employing them all at his pleasure in the administrations of his power, mercy, and justice. So let's go through this bit by bit. What is God's providence towards the angels? Oh, the topic of angels can often be fraught with speculation and all sorts of hearsay stories at times. Uh, I would just urge people when they're approaching any of these topics just to think scripture. What does the scripture reveal? And not to go any further than that. That's the challenge at the end of the day. God's God, by his providence, permitted some of the angels willfully and irrecoverably. Now, they willfully, they weren't forced in any way, shape, or form. They willfully fell. They they chose. They, they chose that way. And it's irrecoverable. God never sent a savior for the angels. Ah, no problem. No problem, Benjamin. <laughs> um... Greetings, anybody who's who's into the chat. Um, yeah, anybody who's just joined the program, again, there was some technical difficulties at the beginning. There was another, uh, there was another YouTube link, and then uh, it was a VPN error. So VPNs and streaming just are not working for me. So uh, hopefully next week, uh, I'll have learned my lesson. Um, so, so in question 19 of the Westminster Larger Catechism, so... Willfully and irrecoverably. So they can't be saved. They can't be, there's no, you know, it's of the seed of Abraham that a Jesus came to redeem. And that includes all those who have faith in Christ that, you know, from Galatians chapter three, we know that today anyone who believes in, you know, the seed of Abraham is the seed of Christ. Just those and those alone. There was no savior sent for the angels. Now, they to fall into sin and damnation, limiting and ordering that, all their sins. Again, limiting and ordering that. No 
evil is outside of the control of God. Nothing. And you might think of examples, but what about, yes, any example you can think of is not outside the control of God, or else God, he is not God. He limiting and ordering. Now, nothing evil comes from the heart of God. Nothing evil comes from the heart of God. I was having a discussion with my daughter there before she went to bed tonight. And we were talking about, you know, the things to do with God's providence. I didn't use those terms. She's only six years old. But um, when Joseph's brothers sent Joseph into Egypt, they meant it for evil. It was evil and sinful and wrong. They they attacked him. They threw him into a pit. They sold him into slavery. And then they let on to his father, Joseph's father, that, oh, he died. They meant it for evil. It was sinful and wrong and evil. But God meant it for good. And we're told why when Joseph was sent into Egypt in the book of Genesis, be, to save people alive. There was, there was famine in the land, and only for the fact that the people of Israel were brought into the land of Egypt at that time. They, life, lives wouldn't, you know, life was saved through that providential act of God, limiting and ordering that. Now, I know this is talking about men, but God limits and orders the sin of not just angels, but also people. Continue on uh, question 19. And all their sins to his own glory. Again, it all glorifies God. And establish the rest in holiness and happiness. So the only reason the other ones didn't fall is because, again, of the providential care and ordering of God. And employing them all at his pleasure and this is why they're there. They're there for the pleasure of God at his pleasure in the administrations of his power, mercy, and justice. That's why they're there. And they are incredible beings. They are powerful beings. They are majestic beings. They're so incredible that when humans see angels, we feel like worship, worshiping them. We shouldn't. The only time that there is worship of anybody's called an angel, the angel of the Lord, and that is a pre-incarnate Christ. Um, I think there's an example off the top of my head in Joshua chapter 5 with the sword, and um, but that's a pre-incarnate theophany, uh, appearing of Christ. So, this is why they're there, that they're in the administrations of his power, his mercy and justice. Now, God does not depend in any way, shape, or form on his angels, but he uses means. And here are agents of his administrations, of his power, of his mercy, and his justice. So he is in complete control of every single last detail. And I'll have to remind myself, even... My, and I knew the VPN wouldn't work at the start of this program. I just, I don't know, it's a habit of turning it on. Um, um, 
<laughs> I won't be, I don't know if I'll ever be sponsored by ExpressVPN, just like Ben Shapiro is. Um, it does slow down my internet just a little bit too much for my stream. Maybe he, maybe Ben Shapiro and other people like that have much, much better, um, What's much better, you know, streaming speeds that they can have the VPN all the time. But anyway, but that's all in the providence of God. That's all in the providence of God. And even when we make mistakes, I'm not saying that we should be casual and cavalier about it, but even in our mistakes, it's all in, under the control of God. Nothing thwarts the will of God. Even our sin. and. Again, it's not to be cavalier about our sin, but that should be comforting to us. That stupid, horrible thing you did yesterday, you should repent of it, okay? But at the same time, the Lord, that was all under his control. Nothing's outside of his control at any single point, and that should comfort us. All things work together for, for good. To them that love God. Do you love God? Well, all the bad stuff that you've experienced work together for good. For good. All the pain, all the suffering, all the sleepless nights. Uh, if you love God, if your heart's been changed and you love him. Question 20. So, question 10, 20, let's look at this. What, what, what was the providence of God toward man in the estate in which he was created. So this is getting into creation now. The providence, the answer is, the providence of God toward man in the estate in which he was created was the placing him in paradise, appointing him to dress it, giving him liberty to eat of the fruit of the earth, putting the creatures under his dominion, and ordering marriage, ordaining marriage, sorry, for his help affording him communion with himself, instituting the Sabbath, entering into a covenant of life with him upon condition of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience, of which the tree of life was a pledge, and forbidding to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. There's a lot there. Let's see how we can see how we go going through all that question 20 of the westminster larger catechism so this is so the last question looked toward the providence of god toward angels toward angels now it's the providence of god toward men and if that confuses anybody mankind and the, the people okay there's yeah people are doing crazy stuff with language nowadays and people seem to have a problem with everything has to be explained men People, human beings, in the estate in which he was created. Now, he was created, Adam, and Adam is representative of all mankind. So, in the estate in which he was created, so the way he was created, he was created good, upright, and holy was the placing of him in paradise. That, that is the act of God's providence, his care, his provision, his love, his mercy, his grace. Even man, when he was sinless, created at the beginning, God didn't owe him anything. 
God even acted graciously in establishing. This is not saying that the original covenant in the garden was a mixture of works and grace or anything like that, but in establishing and condescending down to man, he didn't owe a man anything. But he put him in the garden, pointing him to dress it. A wonderful privilege, a paradise, a fantastic place to take care of. Work is not a terrible thing. Work only became a terrible thing after the fall. And by the way, Christians should have a good attitude toward work. If you look at it, it's, yeah, work will become difficult. Work will become difficult, but work is not a bad thing. We don't often sound like that on a Monday morning when we go to work, but we should have a good attitude towards work because work is a creation ordinance. Appointing him to dress it, giving him liberty, freedom to eat of the fruit of the earth. See, man will always focus on how dare God not allow me to eat of that one tree. Well, that's a horrible way of looking at the providence of God. That is a sinful way of looking at the providence of God. It's a bit like, okay, you're telling your child, right? Hey, here's some scissors. Okay. Don't run with these. Hey, here's a football. Hey, here's here are a thousand toys you can play with. Go play with them. But well, what will the child want to do? The child will want to grab the scissors and run with the scissors. And you're gonna play with anything else. That's the way we are. Freedom to eat of the fruit of the earth. So you could eat of any of the other trees. Go flourish. Eat. Enjoy. Enjoy all that is there. Now there was one stipulation. And a test of obedience. One tree the tree of the knowledge of good and evil don't eat of that just one tree back into question 20 the answer here putting the creatures under his dominion under his dominion and ordaining marriage for his help so man is from creation to put and to subdue the earth and to use it for the glory of God. He is, you know, Adam named all of the creatures. It's why animals generally fear man. There's a fear of man there. It goes right back to creation itself. And then ordaining marriage for his help, a helpmeet, someone who is compatible with Adam. Affording him communion with himself because God cares and none of the other creatures were suitable companions. 
and in God's providential care, he provided. So anybody's listening to this and has a spouse, God has given you, it's not just Adam and Eve, God has given you that wife. Now, maybe you have difficulties in your marriage or something like that, but if we think about it like that, God give, has given me, in his providential care and love, this wife, this husband, if you're a woman. So, shouldn't it change your attitude? One of grumbling, maybe, at times, or whatever, to, to gratefulness and thankfulness. Well, thank you, God, for, for providing me with this wonderful helpmate, someone to share life with. Because we forget so often of the wonderful gifts that God has given us, and marriage is just one of them. Affording him communion with himself and that's another blessing we've got. Afford him communion with himself. If you're a Christian, now it was different in the Garden of Eden. It's slightly different. as It's the covenant of works, but it's God's providential care that, again, he didn't know man anything, even apart, even if he was sinless. Instituting the Sabbath. Now, um, Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, this goes right back to creation week. Um, the seventh day of the week, right? Um, it says in Genesis 2, 3, And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God had created and made blessed the seventh day and, and sanctified it, literally made it holy. It became a holy day. Now, from creation week right to the resurrection of Christ, it was the seventh day of the week. Now, the Sabbath law, if you go forward and it links to this verse, to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, um, and it gives the reasoning for it, it doesn't say the seventh day of the week. It just says the seventh day. Six days thou shalt labor and do all your work and the seventh day. So the principle of the fourth commandment is this, one day in seven. Now that when that day is, is determined otherwise, right? Because in eternity, there's an eternal Sabbath. There is no time. Forever and ever, there's an eternal Sabbath in eternity. But in the Old Testament, it was determined by creation week. In the New Testament, it is changed to the first day of the week, the Sabbath, based upon the resurrection of Christ, because he rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And the Christian church can be shown, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, and other places that they met on the first day of the week, known as the Lord's Day, Revelation 1, verse 10. So that's the Sabbath commandment, right back from creation week. It is the moral law of God. You see, marriage and the Sabbath were creation ordinances, but they're part of the eternal law of God because 
in eternity, there's no marriage, like there is no marriage. They're not given in marriage in eternity, in eternity in heaven and things like that. But there is a marriage between the Christ and his bride in eternity. And there's an eternal Sabbath where we'll worship him for, for all eternity. The Sabbath is a wonderful thing. It is not some horrible thing that you have to do. Because why? It is like the Sabbath is like peering into a, uh, getting a small slither, a small foretaste of glory to come. Because in, in eternity, you will have the constant refreshment of, and never tiring of it, of being in the presence of the Lord and worshiping for all eternity. That's the Sabbath. But then it'll be an eternity. It'll be forever and ever. Even more wonderful. So instituting the Sabbath right from the very beginning, not something that started in Exodus chapter 20, something that they were expected to keep in Exodus chapter 16, which predates the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, by the way. I've done other programs on it. Maybe I should go through it again. It's vitally important. The West has just tossed it aside. It's not just a reform thing, by the way. Right back 50-odd, I don't know, when it started changing exactly. I've not looked through it in massive detail. But people who aren't reformed, okay, they were influenced by reformed people, kind of. Charles Finney, okay, he was trained in Presbyterian circles, but certainly not Presbyterian. He was, he was a Pelagian, and he was aberrant in many of his views. But he was pro-Sabbatarian. And I'm not saying... Again, not no fan of Charles Finney. I'm just saying people like that, right up until people like Billy Sunday and all those kind of people, again, not reformed, not sound theologically, but they all, for hundreds of years, depending on what your view was, Sabbath breaking was seen as a horrible sin. And many of the, the temperance movements and all this kind of stuff were often connected with movements towards, and I'm not in agreement with the temperance movements, you know, some of them are against caffeine and, and alcohol and stuff like that. You shouldn't get drunk, of course, but, okay, but my point is this. If you go through early church history, Reformation history, you might find the odd aberrant view, you might find the odd strange quotation from a reformer that could be interpreted in different ways. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about across the board. Sadly, and if you're listening to this, my American brothers and sisters in Christ, there's a lot of churches in, in the United States, I'll be honest, they're very, they're not, even they're like, they're professional, they're reformed in everything, but they don't keep the Sabbath. So, but we're we're in decline here as well. But compared to most places in the world, I think there's a bit more of it goes on up here in Ulster and, and in Scotland. But it's it's in a decline. It's not in a good it's not in a good state. Okay. Um, question twenty continued here. Entering into a covenant of life with him. Now this is the covenant of works. This is prior to the fall of Adam. Upon condition of personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That's the condition of this covenant of life. The only way, there's two ways in which you can have eternal life. Personal, 
perfect, perpetual obedience. One single stain against your record and you are condemned for all eternity because of the holiness and the righteousness and the perfection of the one whom you have sinned against. That's why. That's why sin is so egregious because of the goodness and the mercy and the providential care and everything is, but also because of of who he is, of who he is, the one who he's against, the one of infinite value. That's the condition of that of that pre-fall covenant. If Adam had kept the law perfectly, he would have had life eternal. He didn't, of course. Now it says here, of which the tree of life was a pledge. That's why they were removed from the presence of the tree of life to show them that they were no longer by virtue of that covenant and that stipulation in possession of life. Their works would no, could no longer have any bearing instrumentally on them having life. Again, this is pre-fall. And here's the thing where it links in with the second Adam. First Adam, in Adam all die. Adam sinned. So no longer was this ever a possibility ever again because in Adam all die. You're born sinners. There's no possible way you, that anybody could live a personal, holy life. Even before you have done any actual sin of yourselves, you still have Adam's sin imputed to your account. Now, the first Adam failed, sinned, broke the covenant, this covenant of works, this covenant of life with God. But the second Adam, Christ, it's talked about this from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to around 19, where Adam failed, Christ succeeded. He kept this law. He kept it in our place. And he say, well, what, which law? The, the law summarized in the Ten Commandments, the law summarized in another way in the Garden of Eden, because by eating of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, good and evil, Adam and Eve, specifically Adam, but also Eve did it as well, broke the tables of the law. They, they did not show love toward God because of what they did, and they didn't show love for their neighbor because they condemned them all to suffering and the curse and bondage. So they broke the law of God that way. Many, many ways you can explain it, but this broken covenant of works was only fulfilled in Christ because not a sinner. Adam is the, the representative of, of, the, of this covenant of works, and if you're under Adam attempting your own works, you're just going to pour more and more wrath upon yourself because you've got that sin, but you've also got your own sin, and you've got your sinful attempts to trust in yourself which is more sin. The wrath of God abides upon you. Or you trust in Christ and he has fulfilled this personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience on your behalf. And 
we see in the book of Revelation, in the presence of the heavenly Jerusalem, there is the tree of life. And it's also at the end of, uh, was it, I can't remember which one of the, the letters at the start of the book of Revelation. They will eat of that tree, that tree of life forever. Based on the merits of Christ, the second Adam. And then it talks about here, and forbidding to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil upon the pain of death. All of this is good. All of this was loving. All of this was caring. All of this was wonderful. Why is there suffering in the world? Because man, man took something so wonderful, a gift so wonderful, and turned away from Almighty God. There was a curse. <clears throat> there is a great penalty for sin. And you might say, oh, that's unfair that it's Adam's sin. Well, how about your sin? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. One stipulation, one way of showing that they are loving the Lord their God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, keeping this personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. One thing, don't eat of this tree on pain of death. And it's the same pain of death upon any lawbreaker. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Now, question 21. I think this might be the last one we'll finish off with this evening. Question 21. Did man continue in that estate wherein God at first created him? Answer. Our first parents being left to the freedom of their own will. Now, just qualify that. The freedom of their own will, there was free will in, excuse me, in the Garden of Eden. Adam was created good and upright, was capable of choosing good because he was good. He created upright, but he sought out many inventions. He was also mutable, and it was possible for him to fall into sin, which he did. That sense free will, because this can be understood in all sorts of different ways. Left to the freedom of their own will, through the, redemp to, through the temptation of Satan, transgressed the commandment of God in eating the forbidden fruit and thereby fell from the estate of innocency wherein they were created. So they were created sinless. They were created holy. And by virtue of them continuing on in that holy state, they would continue there. But if they sinned, well, things would change, and things did change. Let's get myself some coffee here. This is very important and this is often ignored when I see sometimes Christian versus atheist debates and the ones I've seen, I'm no expert on them or anything like that, don't claim to be, and I, I think most of them 
I'm not going to say all, but most of them are not very fruitful. Um, but a lot of the professing Christians forget to bring up the reason why they're suffering in the world is because of the fall. And God warned what would happen if man went into sin. And it's not like that was the first sin and the last sin and nothing happened after that. Anybody's complaining about the providence of God, anybody's complaining about the providential care of God is a sinner, a lawbreaker themselves. And what do we all deserve as lawbreakers? What do we all deserve? You, me, everyone. We would deserve every single one of us the wrath of Almighty God. There's not a single one of us that can has any just reason to become annoyed with God. No one. No matter how horrible your life is, or you horrible you, you may think your life is. You see, when we think of our life as being horrible or something like that, we usually think of, I deserve this level. And if my life falls below that expectation, I'm going to be angry. It's kind of like you go to a restaurant, you, you, you demand a certain level of, of service and, you know, you're angry with the manager and, and you want to complain. Um, there's a certain term floating around the internet that I'm not going to repeat right now, but you know what I mean? Um, you know, there's, I want to speak to the manager kind of thing because you're annoyed. You, you expect more, you expect better. You think you deserve more. Well, in this case, you are a criminal. You're coming before the bench of a righteous judge. You're spiritually speaking. You know, when you see on television and you see these horrible killers and mass murderers and you're saying, and, and if they got off and you think they got off unjustly, you'd be so angry. And you say, justice is not served. Well, what is justice for you, for I? It's the death penalty. That is what we deserve. Now, here's the thing, and this is the what, and even God doesn't owe us a single thing. If we all fell and there was, it was irre, irreversible and everything else like that, he doesn't deserve, we don't deserve anything. But he sent his son to die so that whosoever believes in him, those believing in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So the one that most people, no, the one that people hate outside of Christ, if you're outside of Christ, you hate God. Complain about him. And sometimes even sadly, a lot of us Christians, we will complain about God at times. We'll fall, we'll become ungrateful and unthankful and impatient. And because we don't understand everything about the providence of God, sometimes our, our prayers aren't answered immediately or even in a way we would like. And we don't completely understand it, but that can lead to discontentment and that can lead to us being annoyed with God without really putting our finger on it. We complain in so many different ways. We complain about the state of the church. And it's sad. And the church should be called to repentance in, in various different areas. But at the same time, in the Lord's providential care and for his glory and all things work together for good to them that love God, the, the world is the way it is. 
He limits it. He limits it and directs it, ordains it. Nothing's outside of his control. If you're listening to this and perhaps there's difficulties in your church and all that, go back. Reconcile, whatever the case may be, because perhaps in the Lord's providence, one of the things to have us grow is sometimes people will, you know, disagree on things and all that, but then say, oh, brother, I'm sorry. I, I messed up there or whatever the case may be. So in the Lord's providential care, he allows us to go through various trials and difficulties. Why? So that we may grow closer to him and that he may be glorified. Now, I think that's a great place to stop. That's that we there did their question 18 to 21. Next time, Lord willing, we're going to look at um, the fall of man in terms of sin and all that, which is a good one to deal with by itself uh, from question 22 onwards. If you have any questions, uh, Migito Radio, Radio at gmail.com. And as soon as I said that, there's, there's somebody who emailed me, and I apologize now because I meant to get back to you on Monday. Apologies, the person knows who I'm talking about. Um, so, radio at gmail.com. That's the, the email I'm using for this radio show now so that when I go there and answer through a few emails, I'll be honest, not that I get that many emails, but it's just, um, it's more, I'm on placement at the moment and busy with other things, but I uh, would appreciate your prayers. Lord willing, our college is going to be doing the final lecture in a few weeks' time on the 1st of July, and I don't know how that's going to go in terms of COVID and all that kind of stuff. And all going well, but in the providence of Almighty God, in the providence of God, um, I will be getting my diploma from the college. So after three years, and it doesn't seem like three years, it seems like three minutes, uh, I will be, I'll have a diploma. And then from that point onwards, it will be a process of, Whenever um, my presbytery will, Lord willing, license me to preach the gospel. So um, exciting times ahead. And uh, yeah, um, that's that's my main focus. And I'll be honest, guys, if there's no guaranteeing that this program will continue forever. None at all. Um, so pray that I'll have wisdom as this program goes forward or whatever the case may be and pray that I'll, I'll know the right course of action. And here's the thing. Um, if it's a decision between me doing sermon prep or me doing prep for anything else for the church, that has to come first. And, um, that's something that I've had to prioritize better over the last couple of years. So pray for me and to have wisdom about that and all that. But, um, um, but thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for emails and everything else. And thanks so much for, um, everybody who contributes in the chat room. Um, some of you guys I know personally, and I thank God for you all. And, um, and thank you all for those people who are listening in, on sermon audio. So hopefully we'll be back again, nine o'clock. <laughs> pray that it'll be nine o'clock next week um uk time uk ireland time 
um, and you'll just have to Google when that is in your time zone. So um, without further ado, uh, if there's, there's one other thing. Oh yeah, if you want me to cover any critique, I used to do a lot of critiques before and I'm out of the loop. And if you want me to cover something, don't be afraid to ask. I'll maybe email you back and say, hey, I, I'm not the best person to critique this, but send it on, especially stuff regarding to the charismatic movement and all that, because I think it is important that it is challenged because it's all around the church today and it's kind of not being challenged. So if you want to send it on to Megiddo Radio, Megiddo Radio at gmail.com, that would be much appreciated. It's been Paul Flynn. May God bless you all. <laughs>